0: as we start this message, when I put up this first photo, I want you to just say out loud kind of what you think of when you guys see that. Viking, okay, that was the right answer. In first service, a few people got it wrong, but that's what I think of whenever I see this, kind of this iconic look of the helmet with the horns coming out, right, the battle axe, that furry overcoat type thing there, like I always think of Viking. But recently, maybe you guys knew this, I did not, I discovered The Viking helmets did not have horns. Okay, so kind of all those embellishments, if you've seen like the wings on the Viking helmets, they were probably probably pretty plain and not decorative, anything like that. And what it was is, it was an opera that gave us this iconic look. So there was a guy named Richard Wagner, and he made this opera, and he thought it made like the Viking singers kind of look more fierce. And so he put horns on the helmets, and then it just took off from there. So we just kind of got this look, and people started to think that. um, But that's not actually how they were probably back in the day. I remember being in science class, and we studied reptiles. I don't really like reptiles, but I thought the coolest one was the chameleon. Okay, You guys may have seen this um, animal or seen this reptile. And I thought it was so cool because I grew up learning that the chameleon will camouflage itself, right, to stay away from predators so that it won't be attacked, it can blend into its environment. Maybe you've heard someone say that, of kind of like blending in like a chameleon or standing out. So this was kind of the thought. But scientists have discovered that that's not really why chameleons change their colors. Okay, So chameleons, they will change and they'll um, change their, the color or what they look like based off of their moods. So I didn't know reptiles had moods, but I guess they do, Okay. So if it's happy it's a certain color, it will do that based off of temperature or to communicate with other reptiles. Like it'll be certain colors, and I guess that communicates to other lizards and animals around them or based off of the light around them. So I remember growing up, and then I was so shocked to learn, well, that's not really why they change colors around them. Or in history class, learning about the seven great wonders of the world. And I'll never forget my history teacher, one of my favorite teachers growing up, he told us... It's amazing because the Great Wall of China can be seen from space. I don't know if you've ever heard that. But it's like the only man-made object that can be seen from space. But once again, not true. Okay, The Apollo astronauts, when they were up there and they landed on the moon, they said there was no man-made structures that could really be seen from there. And you can see the Great Wall of China barely from like the top of the Earth's atmosphere. But really, when you get outside of the Earth's atmosphere, there's only one thing that you can see that's man-made. And it's this right here, lights. I mean, these tiny things are what you can see from space, and as they come together, you can see kind of the outlines of cities or different places um, in the United States that are heavily populated. So you can see this. I'm sharing all of these with you because these are misconceptions I grew up with. And let me just tell you, you will waste a lot of time if you Google misconceptions we believe as humans or search YouTube because you'll go down a whole rabbit trail of things that we believe that are not actually true. But we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about this, truth versus lies, truth versus lies. And the things that we're going to be talking about aren't just history facts or science facts or anything like that. They are lies that we believe about ourselves, really. And they're things that we have internalized, things that we've kind of told ourselves, maybe something that someone said to you when you were younger or something that you believed as a kid that really took root inside of your life, but it's a lie. And those misconceptions that we believe about ourselves, they begin to affect our relationship with God. They can affect our relationship with others and how we interact with others. So for the next few weeks, we want to start to combat some of those lives that we believe with the truth. God, what is it that you say about us? What is it that you're calling us to believe. And so this first week, we're going to look at this first lie. And that lie is this right here. I'm not good enough for Jesus to love me. Now, maybe you've never said that out loud, but we think that many times in different ways, kind of to ourselves of, well, God, you love that person because they're a good person, right? It seems like they always do the right things. And God, you have to love them more than you love me. Or God, you could never forgive me. Like you're not going to love me because I've done some really bad things. Or maybe I've not done really bad things, but I've done a lot of little bad things a whole lot of times. And I keep messing up and I keep making mistakes, God. And so you couldn't love me or God, you couldn't forgive me. There's a lot of kind of lies that are surrounding this of I'm not good enough for Jesus to love me. Like maybe you love good people, God, but you couldn't love me. And the truth is this right here. And this is what I want us to focus in on today. You'll never be more loved than you are right now by God. You'll never be more loved than you are right now by God. And you can say that statement is true. It is true at any moment in the darkest moment of your life, no matter what you've done, no matter how good or bad you feel like you are doing. We have a God who loves us unconditionally, who loves us, who desires to be in relationship with us. But the trouble is we believe some lies. We believe some lies about our relationship with God. Here's what I learned is the National Science Foundation did a study and they found out that the average person thinks between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts per day. Now, I don't know if that means some of you guys are a whole lot smarter than me. That's a pretty big gap there, 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. But that's what the average person thinks. And here's the truth about that. 80% of those thoughts are negative. This is what psychologists call negative self-talk maybe you've done this right where you get up in the morning you look in the mirror and you're like ah oh, i'm ugly right oh i'm overweight i'm fat i not, i don't fit into anything everyone else looks good in whatever it is that they wear but it doesn't matter what i put on i always look horrible i don't look great or maybe you go to school students and you're like man school is easy for everyone else but i'm just a failure i'm no good i'm not smart that negative self-talk or Yeah, of course that person's going to get the promotion at work because they're so great. It doesn't matter what they touch. It all goes good. Like it all turns to gold. But anything I do, I just end up messing up that negative self-talk. 80% of our thoughts are negative self-talk that we have where we begin to talk down ourselves. Like we think other people are so great, but we see like the faults and the issues that we have. We have that negative self-talk in our life. That's the majority of our thoughts. And it's not just around how we look or how smart we think we are or any of those things, but it also deals with the relationships that we are in. Now, in another survey that was done, 94% of people said they believed in true love. How many of you guys believe in true love? Okay, I'm sorry if you did not raise your hand. I believe in true love, okay? I'm kind of that hopeless romantic. Like I make jokes and I try to tell people Sarah makes me watch romantic comedies. But I love romantic comedies, you guys, okay? I love those movies. I love those TV shows. a matter of fact, I get really stressed in the TV show where the guy and girl start to fall in love and then something happens. And I'm like, just fast forward a couple of seasons. Like, just jump ahead. Let's get to the good part where they're actually in love. I love romantic comedies. 94% of people feel like they believe that true love is, is something that's real. But 84% of us believe that we don't deserve love. And that's kind of crazy to think about. 84% of us believe that we believe that love's a real thing, but we don't believe that we're actually deserving of true love. Someone else will find it. It'll work out for someone else. It's great on the big screen, right? In movies and in TV shows, but we don't actually deserve that. So we go on dates and we feel like, I'm sure the other person thinks my conversation is boring or not. I'm not interesting or they would rather be somewhere else. Like we don't feel like we deserve love. And this has to do just with other humans, right? With other people that we know aren't perfect and that they make mistakes and they mess up. How do you think that translates to our relationship with God? That a God who is perfect, a God who we use words like righteous and holy and all powerful and amazing, we use these kinds of words to describe him. How do you think it feels when we start to talk about deserving his love? It can feel overwhelming that that kind of God would love me or would be interested in me or would want a relationship with me or that he could actually forgive or love me. Like we carry these feelings around and we tend to do in our relationship with God what we do in our relationship with other people. We mind read. Okay, maybe you guys have seen this or you've seen this meme on the Internet, right? Where the girl and the guy are sitting on the couch and she's got the thought bubbles and she's like, he's thinking about some other guy and he's thinking, how do I beat the next level in Halo on Xbox, right? Like we assume we know what the other person is thinking. We, we kind of assume like we know they're mad at me. Oh, they're upset about what I said last week. And they're thinking, what are we having for dinner, right? That's where their mind is. We mind read in our relationships a lot and we do that with God. There's no way God could forgive me. Or we're still feeling guilty about something we've done two weeks ago and we've asked God for forgiveness, but we assume he's still carrying that around with Him, that he's still holding that over our head. And we do that so much in our relationships. We don't feel like we deserve love. We don't feel like God can love us. And we assume we know, God, you could never forgive us. God, you've got to be frustrated at this point with me. I keep making the same mistakes over and over. God, you're writing me off. You've got to be done with me. You can't keep forgiving me. We do all of these things to kind of mind read in our relationship with God. And I want to challenge you with this, that we would stop doing that. And that instead of assuming what does God think about me, we would go to his word and see what it is that he actually says about us, how God loves us, this idea that he loves us So much, every single moment of every single day, we will never be more loved than we are right now. So I want us to look at scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn this morning to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 6. So Romans chapter 5, verse 6. And this is um, Paul, this guy who wrote a big part um, of the scriptures, and he's writing to encourage the early church who were living in the city of Rome. And this is what he says. You see, at just the right time, When you and I, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And in case you're wondering kind of who that is, that's you and me, okay? Paul's saying, hey, we've messed up. We've not been perfect. We've not done everything right. But Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, okay? Okay? If Paul was writing nowadays, he would be quoting Bruno's Mars song, I'd catch a grenade for you. You guys remember that from a few years back? And that's what he's saying is he's like, sure, if you love someone, like maybe you'd do that, like jump in front of a bullet for someone that you love, for a family member, for a close friend, for someone um, that you're in a relationship with, maybe you would do that. But would you really do that for your enemy, for someone that's wronged you, for someone that's hurt you? And then Paul says, I want you to know That's what God did for you and for me. When we were enemies of God, when we said, God, I don't want anything to do with you. God, I'm going to do this on my own. I've got this figured out. Like, I don't want you to be a part. When we were acting like that towards God, he still loved us. And this is what we need to understand. What Paul's saying is, you and I, we did not earn God's love, so we can't lose God's love. We did not come to a point where we're like, God, look how perfect I am. God, look how great I am. You can start loving me now. That is not how this works. You and I, we didn't earn God's love. We can't lose God's love. Because it was when we were broken and when we're messed up and when we have issues in our life, that's when Jesus said, I'll still give my life for you. I'll love you. We did not earn God's love. And so we can't lose God's love. But this is so hard for us to understand And I think this may be why. Go back to when you were a little kid, or some of you guys are parents and you have little kids, and you tell them, go clean your room. And if you'll clean your room, I'll give you a cookie, right? Like, you want them to do anything. And so what do they do? They go in their room... They start stuffing clothes, doesn't matter if it's clean or dirty, in drawers, right? They push all of their toys underneath the bed. It's not even really that clean. But then they grab your hand, mommy, daddy, come see. They drag you into the room and they're like, look, it's clean. And you're like, okay, you earn this, you get a cookie, right? Or at school, like parents, we just, we want anything like, hey, if you will study and get a good grade, if you will even just get a C on a test, I'll take you to Six Flags the water park, like we're promising the world, right? And so what do they do? Our kids, they study hard. They do the homework, like they start working. They get a good grade. They've earned that. And so they get whatever is there. You work hard. You get that first paycheck. You earn that. Girls, how about this? So you set the alarm 40 minutes early, right? You get up, makeup on, mascara, lipstick, right? Outfits, and then you, you file your nails down. You repaint them just to match your outfit, okay? You do all of that so you can go into that first period class so that guy you think is so cute will look at you and say, girl, you look good today, right? And he doesn't know everything you've done, but you've earned that compliment, right? You got up early, you worked hard, you went through all these different outfits, all these different shoes just to get that compliment. You have earned that. So much of our life, like we do that, we work hard and we earn that, but that's not the way it is with God. You and I, we can't earn his love. There's nothing we could do that would ever be good enough to match up to God's greatness or to his holiness or his righteousness. We didn't earn his love, and so we can't lose his love. He gives it freely to us. This is what Paul says even later in the letter to the Romans in Romans chapter eight, verse 35 and verses 38 and 39, he says this. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship? Or persecution, famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And then in verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what Paul is saying. He said, think of the worst thing, right? Think of the best thing and then think of the worst thing. Angels or demons, good or evil. He said, nothing in all of creation could ever separate you from the love of God. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he is pursuing you. That's how much his heart is for you. You didn't earn his love and you can't lose his love. So he's saying that nothing in all of creation. And we get to those difficult moments and those dark moments and we think, God, You could never love us. But the truth is, you have never been more loved than you are right now. What God is doing in your life, it is his love being demonstrated on you. Another truth that helps combat that lie of I couldn't be loved by Jesus or I'm not good enough to be loved by Jesus is this right here. He loved you before you loved him. He loved you before you loved him. I have a great reminder of this in my life. Whenever I was um, graduated from high school, this is fall of 96, I went to Bible college. And I met some great people, really, like the first weekend we were there, a group of us started to hang out. We had some classes together. So I had a couple of friends from Tennessee, a couple of guys and girls that we were hanging out with, someone from California, and the most beautiful woman in the world from Illinois, she was in our friend group, okay? And so just a couple of weeks after we were all hanging out, my parents came down, and they, um, they wanted to visit with our friends. So I loaded up a couple of cars um, full of my friends, and we went to this small kind of Motel 6 in Waxahachie And we get in this room, and I didn't know this till later, but Sarah is there, my wife, and in that moment, she knew Aaron is the person that I'm going to love for the rest of my life. a matter of fact, she even went home that night and wrote in her journal, Jesus, can I please marry Aaron? That's how amazing I am, you guys, okay? (laughs) No, I'm joking. So she knew that, like, kind of right in that moment, whatever it was, she knew this is the person that I'm going to love for the rest of my life. The crazy thing is, once again, didn't find this out till way later, my dad in that moment, my dad's an amazing guy, like, um, pastor, and just a man that prays a lot, and he felt like God told him in that moment, Sarah is who Aaron is going to marry. You guys, God knew... Sarah knew, my dad knew. I was the last one in on the conversation, okay? Like, a matter of fact, even that semester, I ended up kind of talking, I don't say I was dating, but I was talking to Sarah's roommate, and there was another girl that I liked. Like, it took me a few months to get there, but Sarah loved me before I ever loved her, before I was smart enough and wised up that this is the person God's given me. Like, she loved me first, and that's the way it is with God. Like, you guys, we were like me. We're kind of clueless at times, and we don't get it, but God loved us before we really realized that He was pursuing us, He was chasing us, He was doing whatever it took to bridge that relationship back to Him, the things that had separated us from Him, God was connecting us back to Him. He loved you before you and I ever loved Him. That's what 1 John 4.10 talks about. This is love. It's not that we loved God. One translation says, we didn't love God first, but He loved us. And He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice, for our sins God gave himself for us before we realized that we should love him he loved us he's always loved us take yourself back to middle school I know some of you guys may still be there in middle school right and you may remember this that there is a guy or a girl that you like and so what do you do you write a note don't you will you be my boyfriend will you be my girlfriend I asked my kids like do you do this or do you guys just text each other now how does this work in middle school now. So, so you do that, right? Like you check yes or no, or you put that on there and you're too afraid to talk to that person. So you give it to your friend who gives it to this person's friend. And it eventually gets to the person you like, that boy or girl, right? And, and then they mark it down. They, they check whatever. And then they give it back like it goes back through all of these people. And you're so nervous when you open it. Like you don't even want to open it because you're so afraid. What if they didn't check the right box? Like what if they check? No. But you open it and it says yes. And you're just on cloud nine, right? Like this is the best day of your 12, 13 year old life, right? Like you're on the top of the world at that moment. And I just want you to know like, God is always saying yes to us. Like you could ask Him in your darkest moment. You could ask Him after you failed for the millionth time. You could ask Him over and over again. He is always gonna say yes. God is for you. God loves you. God's never going to give up on you. God's not going to abandon you. He loves you tremendously. You have never been more loved than you are right now. This is the kind of God that we serve. He loves us unconditionally. And Ephesians 1, 5 says this. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. Once again, Paul's writing to another church and he's reminding them of this, of God wanted to be in a relationship with you so much. He wanted to invite you into family. He wanted to make you family. He wants that connection with you. And so he was willing to do whatever it takes to connect us to him. He has loved us. And some of you guys know um, our story, our family story. So We have eight kids, in case you don't know that, we're a little bit crazy, but we have eight kids, and um, four of them we've had biologically, and then four, God blessed our family through the miracle of adoption. And so we've adopted four kids, and so I want to invite Sophie to the stage, if you guys would give her a hand. Um, Sophie is our youngest daughter, and um, God has blessed our family with her. Now, um... Sophie, I want to ask you a question. Has there ever been a moment in the time that you've lived with us since I've been your dad and Sarah's been your mom where you have messed up and done something to disappoint us? Okay, so I just want you guys to know that. I know we're pastors and you probably think, well, their family is perfect. It is not, you guys, okay? So we make mistakes. We have to have the same conversations with our kids that you have with your kids about poor decisions and all of those. Okay, so Sophie, let me ask you this. Has there ever been a time recently where you've done something that mom and I have been disappointed at or they've been frustrated at you? Of course. Yeah, okay. So this has happened even recently where we've had to have talks and conversations, okay? We do what typical parents do, right? We probably get upset. I have to go back later and apologize. I'm sorry I got mad, right? And, and we lecture our kids. I know there's times where our kids are like, please just punish me and let the talking stop, okay? I know that. I do that as a parent, right? And we get through these moments where I'm trying to help them grow. But this is something we always try to do, is, you know, after we've kind of talked through it all and everything, and Sophie will go to her room, and she'll be in there crying, and I'll walk in, or Sarah will walk in, and I'll look at her and I'll say, Sophie, I love you. And I always try to let my kids know, there's nothing in the world that you could do. I know you think this is horrible and you've messed up again, but I want you to know there is nothing in the world that you could do that could ever stop me loving you. Like, I'm going to love you always. And it doesn't matter how many times you mess up, nothing is going to take away that love. And so no matter how bad you think this is, I am always going to love you and you're always going to be my daughter. Nothing in the world is going to change that. Give Sophie a hand. And I'm sharing this with you not, and I want you to hear this, it's not so you'll say, man, Aaron, you're a great dad, because I'm not. I'm still learning, and I'm still growing. But I want you to get this picture in your mind. That is what God does with you. You guys, we are those children where we're crying, and we're frustrated, and we're like, God, why can't I get it right? Like, why do I keep messing up, or why can't I understand this, or why can't I grow in this area, or why do I do this? And God is that father who puts his hands on our shoulders or he wraps his arms around us and he says, I still love you. I still love you. And I'm always going to love you. And there's nothing that you're going to do that's going to separate you from me like I love you with everything inside of me. And I want you to know that I'm always going to love you. That's the kind of God that we serve. He doesn't love us because we loved him. He loved us in spite of that. Before we ever pursued him, he pursued us and he chased us. And I want you guys to know that we can fall into the lie of I'm not good enough. There's no way God could forgive me. And yet he keeps loving you and he keeps loving me. Not because I could earn it. It's just the kind of God that he is. And can I be honest with you, for those of you that you've been around church for a little bit, we get kind of antsy at this part. And I've had people say this, you can't tell people that because if you tell them that God loves them just kind of unconditionally, then they're just going to go and do whatever they want to. But that's not the truth. The Bible tells us it's when you understand the love of God that you begin to live differently. It's when you truly see the power of the cross that God loved me in spite of myself. God loved me not because I'm good, but he just chose to pour out his love on me. When I really realize that, that's what leads me to repentance. That's what leads me to transformation. It's when I see that there is a God who will not stop loving me. It brings change in my life. See, that's why we've got to combat this lie. That's why it's so important that we fight this lie, because we need to understand the way that God truly loves us. You will never be more loved than you are right now. And you can say that at any moment in your life. I love how Ephesians, this other translation, it talks about this. This is what it says, that verse that I just read to you. Long before God ever laid the earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. And I just picture this, you guys, what pleasure God took in this. That when he was thinking about rescuing you. When he was thinking about redeeming you, when he was thinking about your life, like there was laughter, there was joy in his heart, there was celebration, he takes pleasure in planning. Us being connected into a relationship with him. He takes pleasure in the idea that we are family, that he has connected himself with us. He takes pleasure in the idea that we would come and say, God, I've messed up again, but I need your help. Lord. Would you love me? God, would you forgive me? That brings delight in his heart. That's the kind of God that we serve, that loves us unconditionally and that wants to be in relationship with us. And so I want to encourage you in that, the. The scriptures in the Bible, if you've ever read that, I'm realizing this more and more. And I think I just shared this a couple of weeks ago at the end of a message is it's not the story of amazing people that we're trying to be like. It's a story of broken people and a God who will not give up on them. This is the story of people that even in the very presence of God, make some other idol and start worshiping it. Of a king who God blesses and he goes out and has an affair and gets someone else killed and does all of this stuff, and God will not stop pursuing them. Of one of Jesus' closest his friends, close friends, on the night that he is getting ready to die, looks at Jesus and says, I don't want anything to do with him. I don't know him. And yet Jesus forgives him and restores him. Over and over again in the scripture, we see broken people that God will not stop pursuing. And that's the way it is with our life. You guys, he loves us. He loves us. There's nothing that you can do to take away that love. Our challenge is to receive it, to accept that gift. And so, this is one of the ways that I want us to respond this morning. Um, There are lies that we believe that really do impact our relationship with God. And I realize in this room, there may be those of you, and you have a broken relationship with your parent, or one of your parents were missing. And it's hard to think about a God that loves you like this because you feel some of that abandonment or rejection or different things that have gone on in your life. And I want you to know that's not who your heavenly father is. He loves you. And so one of the ways that we can really fight against some of these lies or this misconception is just something that my counselor has been walking through with me. Because even though I'm a pastor, I still have some of these Thoughts that I have to kind of fight against in my mind. And so I want to give you a tip or a tool that he's given me. And and this is what I want to encourage you to do this week. If you feel like there's no way God can love me or God, I've messed up again and you've got to be done with me or you can't keep forgiving me or what I've done is too big, God. And Pastor Aaron, he was talking to everyone else in the room or other people watching online, but he couldn't have been talking to me. I want you to do this. I want you to just write down that lie, which may seem counterintuitive. Like, why am I doing that? But there is something powerful about acknowledging this is what I'm believing in this moment. So I've been doing this. And let me tell you, I filled up a couple of journals, okay? So so there are a lot of things, wrong patterns of thinking that I've been kind of journaling about. And, And so I want you to do that. You could do that with pen and paper. You could do that on your smartphone. But just acknowledge that. God, this is what I'm thinking in this moment. You can't keep forgiving me. Or God, you're mad at me and you want to just write me off. You want to be done with me. Or I'm not good enough for Jesus to love. Whatever that is. And the next thing I want you to do after you've written that down is to just begin to speak the truth. God, I've never been more loved than I am right now. God, before I ever chose to love you, you chose to love me. God, when I was your enemy and you knew every mistake I was going to make, you still chose to sacrifice yourself for me so that I could be in relationship I want you to just start to speak out that truth, start to speak out what we've read about in the word of God. God, this is what you've said. And then just take a moment, reflect on that. What does that mean? God, you took pleasure to invite me into your family, even though you knew I was going to mess up and you knew I was going to be here apologizing again and saying, I'm sorry, you still wanted me. You still wanted a relationship with me. And just begin to reflect on that. God, what is the truth? The goal is that you would begin to create patterns of thinking more around the truth of God's word than the misconception and lies we can believe. We win when the truth begins to overpower some of those lies that we have allowed in our life. And we want the truth of God's word to begin to overcome some of those things. And so I want you to hear that. God loves you. And this week, you may have moments where you're like, I don't feel it. I don't know, Aaron. It's so hard to believe. I want you to know that he loves you. He's done everything he can to demonstrate that to you. And we have this simple opportunity of just accepting that love and saying, God, I do want a relationship with you. So I want to lead us in a moment of prayer. I'm going to ask if you would bow your head and close your eyes. And um, if you're able to, if you're watching this online and worshiping with us online, and you can do that. Just take a moment and kind of close your eyes and reflect on that. We may not verbalize it like that, but we have moments where we feel like that. God, there's no way you can love me. You could love other people, but you could never love me. And this morning, God's reminding us he does love you. And if you're here and you're, you're saying, Aaron, I'll be honest, I feel disconnected from God. Where I thought I had to be good enough, like I'm coming to church, but I don't feel like I really belong here. And I feel like I've got to kind of work my way up for God loving me. That's not the truth of the Bible. The truth of the Bible is we've all missed God's mark. And we can't fix ourselves on our own. We can't work hard enough or try to be good enough. You can't even come to church enough to earn God's love. You can't do it. But He has loved us. In such an amazing way. And all we have to do is accept that and receive that and say, God, I I acknowledge that, Lord, that I've messed up. And, Lord, I want a relationship with you. And so I'm going to lead us in this prayer. And that's what this prayer says. We pray this every week. But I want to give you the opportunity, if you're disconnected from God, to pray this with us. And I'm going to invite everyone to say this out loud because we don't want anyone praying alone. So even if you're by yourself, maybe in your kitchen or your living room, I want you to say this out loud because we want everyone praying this together. Repeat this after me. Jesus, I come to you. And I know I've messed up. I admit that I've sinned. I need your forgiveness. So I invite you into my life. And be the savior of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Give me a brand new start. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, church, can you put your hands together and just celebrate with anyone that prayed that prayer? And I want you to know this. What we just read, it is God's pleasure to connect you in relationship with him. And so the Bible says that all of heaven is celebrating and rejoicing If even one person prayed that prayer, that connection is made and God is doing something in your life. And this is what I want to encourage you with. We don't want you walking in your relationship with God alone. And so we don't want you to feel like, hey, I've got to figure this out by myself. We want to encourage you and pray with you and help you as you're starting to connect with God. Or maybe you're like, I've done church before, but I'm just coming back again. And we want to help you continue stronger to develop that relationship And so there's a simple way you can let us know, hey, I prayed that prayer and God's doing something in my life. Just go to newcommunity.co slash newlife. So newcommunity.co slash newlife. You can go there and just let us know, hey, I prayed that prayer and we're going to walk with you. We want to encourage you and help you as you start that relationship with God or as you reconnect with God. We want to cheer you on in your faith with him. And I'm going to lead us in one more prayer. And this time I'm going to, Um, ask that you not just repeat this prayer after me, but that you have a conversation with God. And we're just gonna simply pray, God, help us to be the kind of people that realize your love. Because it really does impact our life and it impacts our relationship with God. And so maybe there's something you need to confess and you can do that in this moment. Um, Maybe it's simply saying, Lord, help me all throughout this week to remember your love, um, to stop the negative self-talk to stop the lies and begin to believe your truth. And if you don't pray a lot, let me just tell you this. There's no special words you have to say, okay? Just whatever comes to your mind, just be honest with God. Of God, I want to realize more of your love. And I want to stop believing some of those lies, God, and I want to believe the truth of your word. So let's pray together this morning. Lord, I thank you because you've loved us, God. And Lord, this morning is just a reminder of that. It's not what we've done, God. It's not about being good enough. Or something that we could do, God, you have just unconditionally loved us and you keep loving us and you keep pursuing us, God. So I pray help us to remember that, God, in the middle of this week Lord, when we're in different situations, God, when we feel undeserving or unworthy, God, remind us of the tremendous way that you have loved us, God, and how you never stop loving us, Lord. Let that change the way that we interact with others, God. Let it change, Lord, the ways the way that we face temptation, Lord, in different situations, God. We want to be a kind of people that realize your amazing love, God, and your goodness over our lives. So help us to walk in that every single day this week, God. Remind us that we have never been more loved than we are right now, God, and let that truth change us and impact others around us. I pray this in your name. Amen. (laughs)